Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. We're in the series called Romans 8 Reflections, and my hope is that the truths offered to us in Romans 8 will help encourage us in this time of pandemic. So last week, what we learned from verses 28 through 30 is that God works in the midst of all things with those who love him for the good of the world. And what I want to do now is read uh, from Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 18, uh, going all the way through verse 25, which says this. It says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not on its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay and will obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await for adoption and the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. And now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, Paul states that our present suffering isn't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. And the Apostle Paul is certainly familiar with suffering. He faced many hardships in his life. In fact, in the midst of his suffering, though, he maintained hope and patience for the glory of God to be revealed. And as I read this passage, I'm reminded of two things. That first, Paul seems to be saying that no matter the nature of our suffering or how bad the nature of our suffering, that the goodness of new creation will be better. That regardless of how bad the nature of our suffering, the goodness of new creation will in fact be better. But second, Paul is reminding us of the value of patient hope. And we're going to unpack in a few moments what Christian hope is. But Paul is saying there is tremendous value in patient hope. Now patience, you might remember, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And I'm convinced that this moment in history is a phenomenal opportunity for Christians to display all the fruit of the Spirit. That that the fruit of the Spirit, as it's embodied in the lives of Christians, do you believe this? Really has the opportunity to change the world. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. We need to to see that fruit in ourselves and and work toward that fruit as as the Spirit works in our lives. And so may we join Paul in recognizing that our present suffering cannot be compared to the glory of God that would be revealed in us. But then Paul uses glory in a different way. He says that creation itself awaits for the children of God to be glorified. And so he says that glory will be revealed to us and he says that we will be glorified. And so we learned last week that glory, when applied to humanity, refers to an elevation of status or authority as God's co-rulers in creation. And uh, I can't help when I think of this idea, glory being related to status or authority as co-rulers in creation, my mind immediately goes to this brilliant children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
Uh, Hopefully you've read it. If you've not, it is so worth your time. But let me give you a quick synopsis. Uh, with spoiler alerts, right? So, so in this beloved children's story, the Pivensey siblings are sent to live with their uncle for, in order to be safe during World War II. Their uncle is a grumpy old chap who really doesn't want much to do with them. And so these four siblings find themselves with lots of free time to play in, his, in and among his huge estate. So during their play one day, they discover a wardrobe that leads into a a, a land called Narnia. And they learn that this land lives under the curse of an eternal winter and is waiting for the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve to come and take their place as rulers over the land of Narnia. And so the story is actually how these Pivensey siblings take their place as rulers over Narnia. But it's important to recognize that in the story, the siblings do not hold ultimate authority. Ultimate authority belongs to Aslan, the creator of Narnia. And so as rulers over Narnia, the siblings are to then know the will and help carry out the will of Aslan, who is good, but not necessarily safe, as they say which is to say that he is both all powerful and yet all good and can be trusted. And as co-rulers over Narnia, it is their role and responsibility to embody or carry out as best they can the rule and authority of the creator Aslan. And I think what a tremendous picture of God's plan and desire for us that the whole creation sits in bondage, an eternal winter, we might say, in in bondage to death and decay, and groans for not only the redemption of creation, but for the revelation or the revealing of the children of God, the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, so that those children might take their rightful place as co-rulers with God. So one thing that is universal to all of life is suffering, but we look forward to the day when all things will be made new and when we can be restored to the glory or the authority that God has intended for us. And so it's this beautiful picture. Now, verse 24 in our passage gets right to the point where Paul says, you were saved, you see, in hope. And what the text does is it recognizes and is very honest about the fact that we aren't there yet. (laughs) You were saved into this thing called hope, which is to say the thing that you were saved into and this, this thing that is about to be revealed and about to happen isn't yet here. And so there's still much to be done. There's still much brokenness in the world. And yet we are invited into this thing called hope. But the question remains, what is Christian hope? There are a number of thoughts, and I might even call them misconceptions out there. Uh, For many, the idea and concept of Christian hope is actually related to escape. Uh, That many in the Christian tradition have come to see hope as a kind of escape from the current reality. That that we'll kind of be going along the time-space continuum when all of a sudden God takes us up into the sky, removes us from the mess of our lives, and takes us to an eternal place that is apart from this world. And this view of hope has become really, really popular in the last 100 years or so of Christianity. 
Some might often like relate Christian hope to a simple optimism even, uh, that, that there's really not a lot of difference between hope and, and wishful thinking or optimism. Uh, that is to say that maybe there's this kind of plane of reality on which all of us live and we recognize that it's difficult and there's suffering and there's hardship and there's kind of all these things going on in, in the reality and muck of our lives. But maybe hope is if we just adopt a more positive attitude where we're not living on this plane but we're rather living on a, on a higher plane of optimism and positive thinking, that then we'll get by, and that's hope. In other words, for some, hope is a kind of mind over matter. Uh, for others, they see hope as a kind of progress, that as history goes along, then we should be getting better and better at sharing this life together, at kind of working through uh, the challenges that we face. And so hope is the sense that if with enough time that has passed, we'll learn to like overcome the challenges that we face collectively. Uh, often if you hear someone uh, saying, it's 2020 and we're still talking about, fill in the blank, they're often working from hope as kind of a pro- pro- progress, progress, right? And, and now certainly that is sometimes very valid. It's 2020 and we're still talking about this. And that's a, sometimes an entry point into important conversations. But let's recognize that hope is not the same as just a kind of generic belief in progress. The other one I would say is sometimes we think of hope as restoration, Uh, The restoration is often seen, though, as a circle, right? Like a returning back to that which was. And and so lots of people say, hey, we began in the Garden of Eden, and and God wants to bring us back there. He wants to restore us back to the Garden. Now, restoration is a great word, and there's much in Christianity that speaks about, talks about, and points to restoration. But restoration doesn't quite capture the fullness uh, of the essence of Christian hope. Because God's plan is not for us to return, but rather to dynamically move us forward. And this is illustrated by the simple fact that in the beginning, we begin, humanity begins in a garden. But if you look at the end of scripture, we end with this holy city. And so the the scriptures begin with a garden and end with a city. So there's still dynamic movement forward. It's not just a simple return. It's not a cyclical view of history. And so I would rather, I would want to submit to you that Christian hope is founded, is rooted in, and is grounded in the idea of resurrection. The biblical hope is this, that when the world was headed fully toward death and the ways of death, then God, right? That there was this trajectory of everything is kind of going down and towards the ways of death, and, and death is a very real consequence of sin, but in the middle of that, God intervenes, he intersects human history with the idea of resurrection, and then resurrection sets everything back onto its right course. And so resurrection is, is not just a simple return to that which was, but resurrection is bringing history and the world and ourselves to their full completion. Amen. The, the, the Paul says that what God has begun in you, he will bring to its fullness. He will bring to its goal. This is resurrection. That God is, is setting history back on its right course, setting the world right in such a way that even death is overcome and even death is defeated. And this church is the, the, the groundwork upon which our Christian hope is built. It's not optimism, it's not any of those other things. And so the Christian claim then is this, 
It's not that God is going to beam us out of here. The Christian claim is not that we just need to think differently about our circumstances. The Christian claim is not that things will just keep getting better over time. The Christian claim is that things were headed toward death and destruction when God intervened in the person of Jesus Christ and then Jesus, through his life and ministry, showed us that there was an alternative way to live and in his time, what he called it was the kingdom of God. That's pretty good language. Let's, let's borrow that, but let's learn what it actually means, right? So that he did this with his life. There's an alternative way to live, but then in his death, He absorbed sin, he showed us the ugliness of it all, and then through his resurrection, defeated death, and refounded the world on an axis of love and forgiveness. Yes, this is Christian hope. This is the message of the gospel, and this is good news. For the Christian, then, here's the deal. For the Christian, we can look at the world, and we can be honest about the mess. Christian hope is not the idea that we just kind of think more positively than our circumstances actually are. Christian hope allows us to be honest about the mess and to name the evils, right? So if we're doing Christianity right, we won't be afraid to name racism, corporate greed, mistreatment of workers, misogyny, white supremacy, and the list could go on, right? But we name those things while also having the confidence then that these things have been and will be overcome through the power of the Spirit and the establishment of God's kingdom. Amen. For the Christian, then, we can look not just at the world, but we can look at our own lives. We can be honest about the mess that we're in and the evil that we have done. Maybe we can be named the evils, addiction, lust, personal greed, pride, envy, and the list could go on but still be confident then that these things have been and will be overcome through the power of the Spirit, for I am a new creation in Christ, that God's kingdom has begun in me. Are you with me? This is the good news. It's not just for the world, it's also for me. It's not just for me, it's also for the world, which is to say that the gospel always has personal implications as well as social implications. A a gospel that does not include or speak into our shared life together is really no gospel at all, or it's half of a gospel, right? So we have to be honest about these things. So hope then, Paul says we were saved into hope. Hope then is the ability to be honest about where we're at and yet confident in what is to come. The ability to be honest about where we're at and yet confident in what is to come because, and again, rooted in and grounded in the reality of the resurrection of Christ. Paul says it this way. You can't hope for that which you cannot see. Um, I think I've mentioned before, but my oldest daughter last summer at the age of 10 read the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. And in an effort to try to keep up with her, I am trying to make my way through some Tolkien books. And uh, it's like, it's a lot. 
There's a lot of detail, right? Like you could go pages and pages without any dialogue or anything happening because he's providing so much context. I'm like, I have read theology books my entire life and Tolkien is like a challenge, you know? Uh, but, but here I am, like I'm, I'm working my way through it. And uh, here, here's what I found. Wo- woven throughout the Lord of the Rings books and films, if you just want to watch the movie, that's great too uh, because the truth is still here. Woven throughout this narrative, there is talk of a growing shadow. You find this especially in the Hobbit films, which um, made, took one book and made it a trilogy, but, uh, and, and what they added was all this talk of the growing shadow. So there's, there's talk of growing shadow in the land, and the shadow is the growing strength of Sauron, the Dark Lord, whose armies are getting stronger by the moment. And it seems that everyone has even given in to the darkness that is growing and around them, including the white wizard Saruman that those who once stood for good have now been swayed by evil. And things eventually become so dark, there's little reason to hope that the shadow won't take over the land completely. And yet, there is this small fellowship that centers on Frodo, who carries the ring of power. This ring of power needs to be destroyed should there be any hope of defeating the shadow. And that fellowship goes on a journey, and throughout the journey, the fellowship becomes separated and almost utterly broken, but they continue on the way in hope. And one thing you notice as you read the books is that the characters of the Lord of the Rings are always honest about where they are. There is a shadow that is growing, and yet they move forward, and in the confidence that things can be different. And so it's their ability to not give up, but it's also their ability to see the world as it could be, not just as it is, that keeps them going. And so they recognize that there are powers at work that are far greater than themselves, and yet they have a key part to play. Are you catching on to this? This is absolutely brilliant. Tolkien, by the way, and C.S. Lewis, the author of uh, the Narnia Chronicles, were, were actually friends and people of faith. And it's just written all through these books. And I just think, what a great picture of hope in the midst of what might be called hopelessness. Well then, in the final book, and I'm not there yet uh, in my own reading, but in my research, I found it. So uh, in the final book, Sam... Sam, the character that has been the support to Frodo, and also I've seen the movies, so I know the end, uh, but the support for Frodo, uh, who has carried the ring of power, Sam says this in the, in the last book. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What has happened to the world? You see, Sam has become so used to the darkness that he's looking out at a world that he no longer recognizes. And then here's Gandalf's response. A great shadow has departed. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, he thought, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter or the pure sound of merriment for days without count. That's hope. That's hope in narrative style. And so here's my point. As Christians, we are called to wait with patience for the things that are yet to be revealed. 
And we do so on the basis that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. The resurrection of Christ was the down payment of new creation. And now we can look at evidence and we can participate as new creation agents. And let me tell you that as I look at the world, I see all kinds of darkness. And I'll bet you do too, particularly in these days. This has been a really, really hard four to five to six months. Would you agree? Like, I think all of us are just kind of ready to write 2020 off and be like, okay, skip that year. That was weird, right? Like, all of us are kind of ready to do that. Um, but, but there's this other thing that I, that I think we can learn to see as the people of God. And that is the glimmers of hope and the evidences of resurrection. You see, I, there's, there's this brilliance in God that he has written the concept of resurrection into the very fabric of creation itself. If you don't believe me, watch planet Earth and listen to the smooth silk voice of David Attenborough, right? And as you watch planet Earth, you just begin to recognize these narratives of resurrection are written into the very fabric of creation. And so for that reason, even though I look at the world and I see utter darkness, I also choose to see glimmers of hope and evidence of resurrection. And for this reason, I choose to be a prisoner of hope. That these are difficult days. We face racial tensions, economic struggle, public health crisis, political division, just to name a few. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ is risen. God is at work in the midst of all things, working with us to make all things new. And so I will continue to hope for the day when sad things will come untrue, when the shadow will be lifted and God's new world will be revealed. Will you wait with patient hope, active hope with me? I hope that you will. Thanks be to God. Let's say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your goodness to us. We're thankful, God, for your word today that has encouraged us and lifted us up and offered us hope. Lord, when we are tempted to think of hope in ways that are really just common misconceptions, may we consistently move back to the center of Christian faith, which is you have been revealed in Jesus Christ who has been crucified and resurrected. And so God, as we help us to see creation through the lens of resurrection and newness of life, things that we thought were dead are breathing life again. And so God, help us to be people of, of true and authentic hope, especially in these days. We also pray, God, that through the work of your spirit in our lives, that the people of God would begin to bear the fruit of the spirit, that we would be people in the midst of lots and lots of noise who would be people of peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and love that binds all of them together. So Lord, be with us in these moments as we come to your table. May we experience your presence and may we experience the work of your spirit in our lives in whatever ways, Lord, that you see fit. We give you thanks and we give you praise and we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.